Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. Our broadcast today is entitled, We Believe Christ is Our Righteousness. As you know, over the past few weeks, we have been conducting a survey or a study of the articles of faith held by Primitive Baptist churches of today and most every Baptist church in America in its early days up until around the early to mid-1900s. Now, before starting today, I will say that it came to my attention that the local Sunday morning station we air on had effectively put the first message in this series on repeat for the past four weeks, causing our local audience to miss messages two, three, and four in this series. If you're a regular listener here in Huntsville, I'm sorry that you missed that again on our Sunday morning program that we have each Sunday. And I would encourage you to check those messages out on our church website. I usually have those broadcasts added to the church website Monday, midday, or so. And again, I would encourage you to check those out. You can find that at flintriverpbc.org. Click the Resources tab in the top menu and select Radio Broadcast, and you can check out these former messages in this series. We did a message on the Word of God as the only rule of faith and practice. We did a message on We Believe in the Doctrine of Election from the third article in our Articles of Faith. And then last week we considered at Flint River Articles 4 and 5 that state that we believe in original sin and in man's impotency to recover himself from the fallen state he is in by nature. Those are very important subjects, and I would encourage you to go back and listen to those broadcasts. Now, just in review, we are exploring historic Baptist doctrine by way of the Articles of Faith of our church, Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. Our church was established in 1808 and is recognized as Alabama's oldest Baptist church. And we're also considering the statement of faith of Ebenezer Primitive Baptist Church of Westover, Alabama, which was constituted in 1868. Our article for today from our statement of faith is Article 6, which reads, We believe that sinners are justified in the sight of God only by the imputed righteousness of Christ. Ebenezer's statement is nearly identical to that, certainly identical in theology. It says, We believe that sinners are justified in the sight of God only by the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so, the only thing that Ebenezer's statement differs on, it uses Jesus Christ instead of just the word Christ. So, effectively, these two articles are identical. Both, again, historic statements of faith held commonly by Baptist churches of the 1700s, the 1800s in the United States, and by primitive Baptist churches in our modern times. Today we come to the answer of the single most important question that can be asked. How can a man, being fallen and sinful, be right with a holy and unchanging God, who is angry and offended at sin, who will judge all sin in his wrath, how can a man be right with God? 
That question is one that Job himself asked in the midst of his affliction. In Job chapter 9 and verse 2, Job, speaking to his friends, says, I know that it is so of a truth, but how shall man be just with God? Now, Job is going through many afflictions in his life here, and he's answering his friends who are declaring that he has some secret harbored sin in his life that he needs to repent of in order for God's wrath to depart from him. But the fact of the matter is Job had not done anything to bring the terrible trials and afflictions in his life upon himself. Job was in the midst of a battle, a spiritual warfare that he never knew existed between God and Satan. Satan challenges God and accuses God of so sheltering Job that Job fears him for naught. And the Lord suffers Job to go through terrible things at the hands of that wicked one, just to show that this reality of following God because we love Him, we fear Him, we desire to serve Him, is not simply because He pampers us. But Job's friends don't understand that, and most of what we read in Job is a debate between himself and his three friends, and eventually a younger man, Elihu, would speak and set the record straight, and then God himself would show up, and he would rebuke all of these false thoughts and these false notions. And Job himself said by the conclusion of this that he would take his hand and put it over his mouth and cease from speaking, because he obviously didn't understand what he was saying. But in this debate between Job and his friends, he asks this question, I know that it is so of the truth, but how should man be just with God? How can a man borrowing that language, be just with a holy God. How can man be right with God? In light of last week's subject regarding original sin and total depravity, that is a crucial and life-changing question. We learned last week from Scripture and as expressed in our statement of faith that man is inherently sinful because of Adam's transgression and that he is unable to recover himself from this fallen state. At the same time, God is a God of justice and judgment. God is offended at sin. God's wrath is in store against all manner of ungodliness. In fact, sin cannot even exist in his direct presence because we learn in the book of Habakkuk that God is of purer eyes than to even behold iniquity. If sin can't exist in the presence of God, and if God has stored up wrath against all unrighteousness of men, if God has wrath from heaven against sin and against sinners, then how can we stand in the sight of a holy God? How can a man be right with God? If all of those realities are true, we are sinful, God is righteous, God judges sin, He'll send his son into the world as the judge of the quick and the dead. And we are unable to rescue ourselves. As we studied last week, man is impotent to rescue himself from the fallen state he is in by nature. How in the world will we be spared from wrath to come and accepted into his presence? See, that's the glorious thing about salvation. It's not just that we are spared the wrath we deserve, but we are taken into his presence to enjoy him, to exist in bliss with him for all of eternity. How can these things be? The answer to this is simple. Only through the imputed righteousness 
of Jesus Christ can we stand before God uncondemned, holy, and righteous. This is actually a crucial component in the scheme of salvation. Christ was ordained by God before the foundation of the world. Ordained by God the Father. God the Son was ordained. Prior to creation, God had chosen people, as we see in message three of this series, the third article in our Articles of Faith, God chose people. We believe that God chose people to salvation before the foundation of the world. He chose them to salvation, but the Savior was also ordained. Before the world began, before the creation, prior to creation, God had chosen people, but God had also ordained the Savior. God's eternal Son, the second person of the Godhead, entered into a covenant with His Father to enter this world, to be born into this world of a virgin, to live a perfect and holy life as a human being, and then die for these sinful creatures that were the recipients of God's everlasting love. That is the only way that a man can be right with God. Ephesians chapter 1, which we shared with you two weeks ago, also speaks so strongly on this subject. We looked at Ephesians chapter 1 because it emphasized this great doctrine of election, as we called it in that message of this series. Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That passage emphasizes that God the Father chose people in God the Son before he created the world. And then, verse 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted, in the Beloved. This passage teaches that God the Father chose people in His Son. This implies that the Son was also selected as the Savior before the creation of the universe, and God set their destiny. He pre-beforehand destinated, set their final result, before the world was created to be adopted as children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. So, don't be afraid of that word predestinate. It means that God before the world was created, set your destiny to be adopted by Jesus, to be conformed to his image, as we read in Romans chapter 8. And this will happen in the glorification, in the resurrection, in the last day. When we are raised in glorified bodies, we will exist in the image of Christ. We will no longer be the fallen sinful beings that we are today. We were made in the beginning of time as upright natural men, made in the image of God, but we fell from that perfection through the transgression of Adam. We are sinful and sinners, and that image of God has been marred. But in that day, in the resurrection, we will be conformed to the image of His dear Son. We will exist exactly like Jesus does, morally and ethically. We will have no sin, and not only that, but we will be impeccable as Jesus is impeccable. Understand that the impeccability of Christ is one of the most important doctrines of Christology, and it affirms and asserts that Jesus was unable to sin. It wasn't merely that he chose to live a righteous life, and it could have gone either way, but 
being God incarnate, being the second person of the Godhead, the Son of God, the Word of God incarnate in human flesh, it was impossible that Jesus could sin. He was impeccable. He could not do wrong. And that's a concept that I'll fight you over, not physically, but we'll argue if you don't believe in the impeccability of Jesus. He was not subject to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. He was impeccable. The Arians, one of the earliest heretical factions in Christianity, which also denied the eternal sonship of Christ and the eternality of the Word, the Arians disputed impeccability, but the sound Christians believed in the impeccability of Christ. Because we will be raised again in the last day in the image of Christ, we will in that day be impeccable in the sense that it will be unable for us to ever sin again. And that's what predestination is all about. God set our destiny beforehand to be conformed to the image of His Son after the resurrection. When we are fully adopted, when He takes full possession of the redeemed object, Jesus redeemed us upon the cross of Calvary, But that transaction, though it's paid for, has not been received fully yet. He's yet to take possession of everything that he came into the world to die for and to redeem, to buy back from the power and penalty of sin. But there's coming a day when Jesus returns, when everyone that was chosen and predestinated to this glorious salvation will be carried away by Jesus forever when redemption is finally a completely completed act in that he took possession of all that he saved to the utmost upon the cross of Calvary. God's not done with you. He's not done with his people. There's more he's going to do in the world. We yet look for the final phase of salvation, which is glorification, according to Romans chapter 8. But regarding today's subject matter, how shall a man be right with God? How shall he be just with God? Ephesians chapter 1 gives us the answer to that. We have been made accepted in the Beloved because Jesus Christ died for us. Look at verses 6 and 7 of Ephesians chapter 1. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace." We have redemption, we have forgiveness according to the riches of His grace. We have been made accepted in the Beloved because Jesus Christ shed His blood for us upon the cross of Calvary. So, to answer that question, how shall a man be just with God? On what basis does God allow us into His presence as naturally sinful beings and creatures? It is because the Son of God died for us and redeemed us, that we might have forgiveness of sins. And further, this is all by His grace. This is not because you did something to earn it. This is not even because you asked for it, because Jesus died for you 2,000 years ago. You were not here to ask for it, and when you were conceived, you were shaped in iniquity until the grace of God changed you. You were his natural-born enemy at enmity with God. You were a hater of God, dead in trespasses and in sins, a natural man to whom the word of God was foolish. But Jesus Christ died to make you righteous upon the cross of Calvary. And this is by his grace, his unmerited favor. The book of Hebrews emphasizes in a few different places Christ becoming a human being to die for his people. 
God could not simply say that our sins were swept under the rug. He could not just snap his fingers or wave his hand, and suddenly we're no longer the condemned sinful creatures. You see, God is just. God is holy. God is righteous. God is also immutable and unchanging, and one of his immutable attributes is wrath against all manner of unrighteousness. And so since God is an immutable God who is offended at sin, something had to happen. Well, here's what had to happen. The Lord Jesus Christ came into this world for the purpose of living a perfect life and dying, though he committed no iniquity, dying for those that the Father had sent him to save. Remember the wages of sin is what? Well, it's death. And so Jesus Christ dies, though he had committed no sin, though he had no nature of sin being virgin born, though he had kept the law of God to a jot and a tittle, he never disobeyed God's law. He kept it perfectly as God intended for it to be kept. He obeyed every commandment of God that God had given men, and then he died. He died, though he did nothing wrong. And when he died, being innocent, he satisfied God's wrath for us. For this to happen, God himself had to become a human being. And so God existing as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit eternally, God's eternal Son was sent into the world who is verily God, but at the same time, in his incarnation, verily man, to die for the sins of his people. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 are one passage in Hebrews that emphasizes this. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower. Some would argue that this conveys lower for a little while. Jesus was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he should, by the grace of God, taste death for every man, and that is every man that is in him, every covenant son. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth, and they who are sanctified, are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren." Jesus was made a little lower than the angels for the purpose of suffering death for them so that he could bring many sons to glory. Notice verses 16 and 17 of this same chapter, Hebrews chapter 2. For verily, truly, he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest, in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Jesus Christ came into the world. He became a human being, the second person of the Godhead, the second person of the Trinity, became a human being to die for our sins. He took on him not the nature of angels, but the seed of Abraham. Now notice that he didn't take the nature of Abraham, but the seed of Abraham. The Word of God, the eternal Son of God, became the seed of Abraham, virgin-born, not the nature of Abraham or Adam or sinful man, but he took the seed. He became a human being, but a human being without that nature of sin and death. He was the only suitable sacrifice, the only suitable Savior. Now, you notice that he's our faithful high priest here in verse 17. That's a concept that the Hebrew writer, whom I believe to be the Apostle Paul, for what it's worth— would write about in great detail. He would say many things about the priesthood of Christ. But let me just emphasize one thing for you. 
Regarding his priesthood, Jesus is both our priest and the sacrifice that would be offered. And when he had made this offering, he forever perfected his people, and he sat down on the right hand of God. Notice this, Hebrews 10.10, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins, regarding to the Levitical priesthood. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. How many offerings did it take? Just one. And what did that offering do? It forever perfected them that are sanctified, them that were set apart by the Father in the covenant of grace before the foundation of the world. Notice this statement in Galatians chapter 4 regarding Jesus coming into the world to die for God's people. Galatians chapter 4, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent his Son, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. Notice he was his son when he sent him. He didn't become his son. He sent forth his son, made of a woman. That conveys the virgin birth, made under the law. To do what? To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of children, the adoption of sons. When the fullness of the time was come, Jesus was born into the world to save his people, to redeem his people. The appointed Savior came at an appointed time to die an appointed death to save an appointed people. One of my favorite passages is 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. I love it so much that I try to quote it in just about every sermon that I preach. I try to fit it in there somewhere. And a dear sister at our church even made me a plaque with this verse on it, and it hangs on the wall of my office here at our facility at Flint River. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So when Jesus died upon the cross, according to this passage, a legal transaction occurred. He died being holy and righteous, not deserving death or God's wrath, being sinless, and he satisfied God's wrath on our behalf. We, in this transaction, were then at the moment of Jesus' death made legally holy and upright in every way. Jesus bore our iniquity upon the cross. God judged him as if he had lived our lives. Then Jesus gave us his righteousness so that God views us as if we lived Jesus' life. Again, he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Jesus knew no sin. That we, the sinners, might be made the righteousness of God in him. He gave us his righteousness And he suffered for our sinfulness. So to be very plain about this, the we or the us that I was reading about earlier in Ephesians chapter 1, that we or us was legally made righteous when Jesus paid the price as he died upon the cross. That is, when our legal justification in the sight of God occurred. There is a justification that is by faith, the declaration of righteousness and the conscience, the assurance of salvation, when we believe, and there is a justification by works, when we are declared righteous in the sight of others by doing good works by faith, that Christ has gifted us and authored and finished in us, but only by the blood of Christ are we justified in the sight of God. In God's courtroom, 
we are justified through the blood of Christ, and Christ is our righteousness. We are only righteous through Christ. Wow, what an awesome thought is that. We were impotent to rescue ourselves, but Jesus was not powerless. He saved his people from their sins, according to Matthew one twenty one. Think about this. Jesus' righteousness is now yours. He lived a perfect life. He died for you. He gave you his righteousness. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Anything required of the Father for you to be with him in heaven, in glory, was supplied for you and to you by your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We see this at the baptism of Jesus, even. When Jesus comes to John to be baptized, John says, you're coming to be baptized of me, and I feel the need to be baptized by you. Why would I be baptizing you, the perfect Lamb of God? And if you remember Jesus' response to him, he said, suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to what? To fulfill all righteousness. Jesus was baptized because it was a commandment of God and he would fulfill all righteousness. He had no sins to confess when he was baptized by John. He had no repentance that was needed, John's baptism being the baptism of repentance, but he did that because it fulfilled all righteousness. Whatever God requires of you was given to you by Jesus Christ. Now, some might say, well, that's the theology of the Reformation, or that's the theology of Augustine, or maybe Maybe that's just the theology of Paul, but not the rest of the Bible. But Jesus himself said in John chapter 10 that he came into this world to lay down his life for his sheep. And he would further go on to say that he gives unto his sheep eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of his hand. Jesus teaches this subject often in the gospel accounts. He came to give eternal life to as many as the Father had given him, John chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. Jesus died for his sheep, and if he died for them, none can pluck them from his hand. I want to revisit the book of Job today in closing. We began by asking, how can a man be right with God? I know it's a truth, but how can a man be just with a God who is holy when human beings are sinful? Job would answer this question himself in the book of Job 19, in verse 25. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, and though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Job has a hope in the Redeemer, who would redeem him that he could be just with God. Job has a hope in the Redeemer. If you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, your sins have been paid and you've been washed of all of your iniquities. The fact that you believe on him, the fact that you love him and you follow him, well, it's all the proof that you need of your standing, your upright standing, your right standing with God. So, I would end today by encouraging you to rest from all of your labors of self-justification and simply worship your Savior who did for you what you could never do. Come unto him, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and he will give you rest. The truth of this message will set you free, dear believer, 
in Christ. Again, I'm Ben Winslet, thanking you for listening to Words of Grace today, inviting you to write and let me know that you've received today's broadcast, and also to tune in again next week at this time. Until then, may the Lord's richest blessings be yours, is my prayer. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. An online directory is available at marchtozion.com. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. And finally, Words of Grace is a listener-supported program. To contact us, address your correspondence to... Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741. Or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.